All right, Acts chapter 1. Let's uh, stand together, please. And we will begin reading in verse 1 where the Bible says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the word uh, or through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. For a little while tonight, I'd like to use these eight verses and I would like to speak to you a a, a simple message. I think it, uh, it is a message that, especially all you preachers, you can just write down the simple little outline that I'm going to give you tonight, and you can just fill in the, the points as, uh, uh, for, uh, to apply to your life and to your ministry, and, uh, and then you can preach this in your church. It's not complicated. It's simple, and uh, I trust it will be a blessing to you. Uh, I, I want you to pray with me, and then I'm going to preach tonight on Christ's program. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the great week. Thank you for your blessings upon this church and upon the men of God that have, uh, uh, that have stood in this pulpit. Father, thank you for the music. Thank you for the spirit that is here. And I just pray that you'll bless us richly tonight. It's just a joy to be among God's people. And Father, I pray that you will fill me now with your spirit and help me as I speak. And Lord, you know my heart tonight. I want to be a blessing. And I pray you'll help me to be a blessing tonight. And may our hearts be stirred with that passion, which is your passion, telling others about Jesus. So, Father, bless us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't have to go into great detail to explain to you the the situation of this chapter. Uh, you know that uh, this book of Acts is immediately following the Gospels, and in all four of the Gospels, we see uh, at the end the Lord Jesus going to the cross. We then see him dying on that cross. We then see them taking him down from the cross, wrapping him in swaddling clothes, and uh, placing him in the tomb. 
They then roll the stone in front of the tomb and go about their business. And the disciples had heard the Lord Jesus say, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And sure enough, three days later, just exactly as he said, Jesus came out of that grave. Death could not hold him in the grave. Over the next several weeks, he spent his time coming and going with the disciples. He would appear and then he would disappear. He would come to this one or to those two or to these three uh, or to as many, Paul said, as 500 at one time. And then he would disappear. And he was showing them some, uh, them some very valuable lessons that even though he's gone, he's not really gone. You remember he said, and lo, I am with you always. Not always. If your Bible says always, your Bible's been messed with. It is always. And that means all the way. And lo, I am with you all the way. And so the promise was given. Now, in this text, in, in the verses that I read, as the Lord Jesus is walking with the disciples uh, upon the Mount of Olives, he unveils his plan for them. He is, they have been with him. He has been with them for three and a half years. And now he is leaving. He is announcing to them that he is leaving. He is going back to take a seat at the right hand of his father and there he will intercede to the father on their and subsequently our behalf. He would, uh, 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 10 days later, send the Holy Spirit, that other comforter that he spoke to them about. And the Spirit would fill the disciples and enable them to accomplish this plan that he was about to reveal to them. When they reached the summit of the Mount of Olives, Jesus announced the program. And he said to them that in verse 8, he said to them that they were to, uh, to receive this power and then they were to be with this power witnesses uh, 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 for him to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and eventually to the utter po uh, uttermost parts of the earth. Now that's the plan, folks. That's the plan. Now the, the emerging church comes along, tries to change the plan, no, no, we got to stick with a plan. Making disciples of. You ever notice, and I'm sure, that, uh, bro, I wish I could have heard all of them, Brother Greg. I just heard this morning, and it was awesome. But uh, 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 they, they, don't, they don't have soul winning programs. What they do is they come to your members and to my members, and they start recruiting our members, all right? But what we've got to do is work the plan. We don't, listen, folks, so much of what we do, preacher, listen to me, so much of what we do is just trying to get people to come to our church. Right. Now, listen, I think everybody in Carroll County, Maryland, ought to go to my church. Right. I, I, yeah, I do. 
I mean, I think the Catholic priest ought to come to my church and get saved. I just real, I think everybody ought to come to church the open door. All right, but the simple truth of the matter is they're not all going to do that. All right, so what we've got to do is quit worrying about how many people are coming to our church and start worrying about getting people into heaven. And if you will tell people how to get to heaven, God will tell people how to get to your church. That's right. That's right. All right, now here's the plan. Let me give you four things real quick. Number one, they needed enlistment. So Christ made his passion known to them. They needed enlistment. So Christ made his passion known to them. What is his passion? You find it at the end of verse 8 when he said, go to the uttermost part of the earth. You know, we sometimes think that the Lord only loves middle to upper class white people with two cars and a dual income. But I want to serve notice on you folks. Jesus died for all men. He died for everybody. And, uh, and the, the Lord told his disciples, look, fellas, uh, uh, you've been with me now for three and a half years. You know who I am. You have been convinced. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, I want you to go out and you tell everybody that you come in contact with that I am Jesus, the Savior of mankind. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how much money you got. doesn't matter how much education you've had. Jesus died for everybody. And so you read the book of Acts, and it's amazing, isn't it? When they took off, oh, did they meet some fascinating people. Wow, that, that, that's what makes the book of Acts so exciting. You, you remember Philip would meet up with an Ethiopian eunuch and he would win him to Christ and send him back to Ethiopia with a heart aflame with the message of God. Paul would see a Macedonian man in a vision and that man was waving his hand and saying, come on over and help us, Paul. And Paul did. And eventually the gospel was taken to Europe and to Asia. Thomas would end up going down to India and preaching the message of Christ to that entire dark Continent. Let me tell you something, folks. When you get to heaven and you run into Thomas, don't you dare call him Doubting Thomas. I want to serve notice on you. That boy went to India. Any of y'all ever been to India? The sickest I've ever been in my life was when I went to India. I literally got on the side of my bed and said, Lord, please take me home. I am dying here. Just, just kill me right here. Kill me right here. I beg you to kill me right here. The thought of getting on an airplane in two days and flying home was more than my little old pea mind could comprehend. And I literally was praying for God to kill me. Let me tell you something, folks. Thomas went to India to preach the gospel. Wow. Don't you call him Doubting Thomas. 
I mean, think about it, folks. Think about you and your ministry. Hey, preacher, listen, that same message is what the Lord has imparted to each one of us in this room to do tonight. We have been called and commissioned to go out and tell the world that Jesus saves. In my 41 years of being in the ministry, I have had the privilege of going to South America and preaching the gospel. I've been to Venezuela to preach the gospel. I've been to, uh, uh, to Russia. I went to Russia three months after the curtain fell. And we took 10,000 Bibles over there. In the middle of the night, people, those people in the, worked in the hotel would come all through the night and knock on our door. And I would look through the little peephole to see who was out there and it'd be a, 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 one of the maids or, or one of the cooks downstairs, one of the men uh, that, that was uh, cooking food or one of, one of the guys at the front desk and they're standing there looking down the hall, make sure nobody in authority sees them. And uh, then you open the door and they go, Biblos, Biblos, they wanted a Bible. So I say, hold on. I go in and get him a Bible. And one man shoved the door open and uh, grabbed that Bible from me and literally fell to the floor and grabbed me around the legs and was kissing my feet, thanking me for giving him a Bible. Now, folks, I'm telling you, it's amazing what God will do. And if we will just... Do what we're supposed to do. I was in Guyana, South America, preaching in an open-air meeting. We had uh, uh, electric uh, uh, lights set up, but they didn't work hardly at all. And, um, and I, was, I was preaching the meeting a, a Sunday night through a Sunday night and uh, open air. And people walking up down the, the street. Well, we had a crowd. It was just a little bit bigger than this tonight. And... Um, and there was a, a, a man on Monday night, teenager, he was 19 years old at the time, and I looked back and I could see him standing back there and he was dressed in a white uniform, a white outfit. And I later found out after the service was over, this, this man was a Hindu pandit, a Hindu holy man. He was in training. He was being taught how to be a Hindu holy man. And so as the, as the week went on, he's, uh, on Monday night he stood out and he watched from a distance. Then on Tuesday night he sat on the back row. On Wednesday night he sat down in the middle. On Friday night he sat right here on the front row. And when I gave the invitation, first one to come out was, was David. That was his name, David. And everybody in there was just shocked. They're weeping and crying, all the church folks, because they knew he was a Hindu holy man. Hey, they don't, they don't come to Jesus without persecution. They don't come to Jesus without the threat of death hanging over their head. And that boy stepped out and got, got saved that night. And for a year and a half to two years after I was in Guyana, about every three weeks or so, I would get a letter with, uh, with, uh, his, in, in his uh, uh, handwriting and uh, it, would, it would be addressed to the preacher and my address, and I would open it up and there would be a sheet of paper in there with the names of the people that he had led to Christ that week. 
Oh my, that, then I just quit hearing from him. Did, did they kill him? Probably. Probably. I can't say that for sure, but probably because everything was right on target and then all of a sudden it quit. You see, folks, winning souls is the whole duty of the whole church for the whole age. It worked in the, the time of the book of Acts, and it works today. And the whole world needs to know that message that Jesus saves. Number two, that's our Lord's passion. Number two, they, uh, I said, first of all, they needed enlistment, so it revealed to them his passion. Number two, they needed encouragement. So he revealed to them his presence. You see, he, he revealed to them his passion, but he also revealed to them his presence. He would always be present with them, he said, even to the ends of the earth. In Matthew 28, in Matthew's version of the Great Commission, in verse 20, he said, And lo, I am with you always. Luke says here in verse 1 that by many infallible proofs, Christ showed himself alive to the world and to his disciples. So his task was thus simplified. They were not called to preach a dogma or a creed or to found a new religion. No, they were called to preach Jesus to tell people of a living person, of a relevant person, their job was to make a real person real to other people. You see, folks, before, uh, before he can be real to someone else, he must be real to me. I mean, he has to impact my life before I will be able to tell somebody else about him. And I remember when I got saved, I wanted everybody to know about it. I couldn't wait to get to school the next day. And my old hippie friends came in. I was sitting on the trash can by my locker waiting on my hippie friends to come in. And my hippie friends walked in. They said, where you been? And I said, what do you mean? Where were you this weekend? We called you. We, we were going to a party. We couldn't get a hold of you. I said, oh, I went to play basketball with the church kids. Oh, what are you hanging around that bunch of geeks for? And I said, hey, we had a good time. Well, where were you yesterday? We called you yesterday. I said, I, got, I was in church yesterday, and I got saved. They said, saved from what? I said, saved from hell. And you old sorry thing, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. And before the week was out, two of them got saved. Amen. Man, we need to realize, folks, the Lord is with us when we do this. The Lord will guide you and he will help you and you, you get something that's real to you and you'll find out, man, you can impact others when it's real to you. You see, they needed to be convinced of his abiding presence and that he was there alongside them, whether seen or unseen. They needed to know with Mary, it was the whisper of her name at the tomb. With the Emmaus Road disciples, it was expounding unto them the word of God until their hearts did burn within them. With Thomas, it was revealing his hands and his feet 
and the wound in his side. And by the time he was through, all of them were convinced that this was indeed the risen Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, who was alive and then was dead, but then was alive forevermore. And by the time he was done, all of them were convinced. Do you have that encouragement tonight? Number three, I got to hasten. Number three, they needed enlightenment. Number three, they needed enlightenment. So he made his program known to them. Now let me review them. First, they needed enlistment, so he made his passion known to them. Second, they needed encouragement, so he made his presence known to them. And now number three, they needed enlightenment, so he made his program known to them. Look at verse 8. There's the program, folks. It's right there. They were to start in their own community, in their Jerusalem. They were to start in their own community. Then they were to reach their own country. That's Judea. Then they were to reach their continent. That's portrayed in Samaria, the closest alien culture to them. And then they were to eventually take the gospel around the world. If you look back at verse 1 in the, in the gospel of Luke, the good doctor told us that uh, all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And now in his second book, he is going to tell us the impact that his teaching and the impact that his doing would have upon this world. Folks, the book of Acts really is a book that tells us how the gospel of Jesus Christ spread from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're still today to be carrying out this program. I tell you, folks, the plan has not changed. I had a preacher recently call me, and uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, preacher, he said, uh, I, you don't know me, we've never met. He said, I have called a dozen men, and I can't get anybody to answer the phone. And uh, he said, thank you, first of all, for answering the phone. And I said, you're welcome. What can I do for you? And he said, I want to know how I can grow my church. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, uh, do you have any soul winning programs? No. I said, well, right there it is. You're not going to grow until you start telling people about Jesus. I mean, it's just that simple. And somehow or another, we think the plan has changed, folks. It has not changed. We start in our Jerusalem, and then we go unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It has not changed. You look at verse 8. I don't know for sure about this, but people that know this stuff, they tell me that that word both means simultaneously. So while you're reaching your Jerusalem, you're sending out missionaries to go unto the uttermost parts of the earth and reach the world with the gospel. And then number four, number four, they needed, listen carefully to this one now, they needed, number four, enablement. They needed enablement. So he gave them his power. All right, now, number one, they needed enlistment, so he shared with them his passion. Number two, they needed encouragement, so he gave to them his presence. 
Number three, they needed enlightenment, so he gave to them his program. And then lastly, he gave, uh, they needed uh, enablement, so he gave them his power. Now, folks, think about the task that is before these disciples. Mercy. Man, you, uh, you talk about a monumental task. They literally had an impossible task that was laid in their laps. They had to go out. Now, you think about this. They had to go out and convince a world about a, a pretty impossible and improvable thing. They had to tell men that they were sinners. Now, in 2018, when you man of God stand up in your pulpit and point your old bony finger and say, hey, you're a sinner, they're waiting on you out before you when church is over. Oh, they don't like that. I had a guy walk by me a couple of months ago and put his hands on his hips and said, who in the world do you think you are? I said, I'm the preacher. And I held up my Bible. I'm the preacher. And I held up my Bible. I never had anybody talk to me like that. I said, you don't get out much, do you? Oh, he laughed right there, and I was so glad he did. Woo! I thought, we were, I, thought I was on there for a minute. I was looking for a deacon. I, I, cowards couldn't find one anywhere. I mean, think about it, folks. Do you remember when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of our Lord, and the other women came to the 12, and they said to the 12, he is risen? And the Bible says that, that their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Why didn't they believe them? They had no power. Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Why didn't they believe? I mean, had not Jesus said for three and a half years he was going to die, be buried, and raise again? Yes. And yet when the women came to the disciples, I mean, my goodness, to the disciples, folks. And they were all excited and tears running and, and he is risen. And they, <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, listen. Preacher, we've all been to the cemetery, haven't we? We've all watched as they had that hole dug and they tried their best to cover it up. Oh, they don't want, us, they don't want the family to sit there and look at a hole. So they do their, but you know it's a hole. They know it's a hole. Have you ever stuck around? You know, when all the family's gone and they crank that thing down in there and then they start bringing a bulldozer in, they shove it, and they, once they're there, they're there. Now, I've had a few say, I'm coming back. I'm going to get you. No, no, you're not. No, you're dead, dummy. You ain't getting up. Folks, listen, man, it's just that simple. We got, uh, but our Savior came, came out of the grave. Woo, mercy. You remember you remember that when the Emmaus Road disciples arrived back at Jerusalem, 
with the news of the risen Savior, the Bible says, neither believed they them. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. They're telling an unbelievable story and the Lord Jesus knew that it was going to be an unbelievable story and he knew that we would have to have help while we do it. So he gave us the spirit. And man, that spirit of God can get a hold of the hardest of hearts and that old hard heart will melt right to the floor. Now I'm going to tell you one story and I'm done. Mike can testify to this. Mike and I, by the way, Mike Elder, he and I got saved in the same church. That's, we know each other for a long time. We've been best friends for a long time. My dad's brother, five years older than, than my dad, honoriest man I ever met in my life. Now, if I'm lying, I'm frying. Is that right, Mike? Mean as a snake. Folks, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but he's just a wicked, wicked drunk. Just a drunk. I mean, I don't mean he drank a little. I mean, drunk all his life. He was over in the Korean War, and he was in the infantry, and, and he was the one that was shooting the howitzers, you know, shooting them big old guns, and he's deaf in his old age, couldn't hear a lick. He could read lips really well. Very smart man, but he was just mean as a snake. His name was L.B. Now, it didn't stand for anything. It wasn't E-L-L-B-E-E. -E. No, it was just L-B. Say, what, what did it stand for? Nothing. I saw his birth certificate. And his birth certificate said L-B Belcher. i tell you how mean he was. He was 60, about 60 years old. He was in a bar down in Charleston. West Virginia. And there's a law in West Virginia that you cannot be drunk in public. Now you can be drunk in a bar, but you can't be drunk in public. Hey, only in West Virginia. Come on. I are from there, so I can, I can you know. But that's the law. And so he came out of the bar and he was walking a little sideways and he can't hear a thing. And a policeman came up behind him and said, hey buddy, he just kept walking. Hey, he just kept walking. Hey, I'm talking to you, he just kept walking. And finally the cop came over and grabbed him and he spun around and just whop in one motion, hit that cop, knocked him to the ground, jumped on top of the cop, pulled his billy club out, and was standing there beating the tar out of the cop. When another cop hit him in the back of the head with it, with another billy club, and so I had to go down and bail him out of jail. Mean as he could be. We found out that he was going, him and a couple of his Korean War buddies were going to South Korea marrying Korean women bringing them back to the states and then divorcing them after they got citizenship. 
and making $30,000 a hit. Pretty good way to, <laughs> pretty good living there. I'm mean as a snake. Oh, he's awful. I had tried to witness to him after I got saved. He wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, just wanted nothing to do with it. And so I was pastoring out in Joliet, Illinois. And he lived in Richmond, Virginia. Now, I didn't know. I hadn't talked to him in years. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, do you know where LB is? He said, yeah, he's in Richmond. He lives in Hopewell. I said, do you have an address? He said, yeah, I got an address. I said, well, give me an address. I wrote it down and laid it on my desk. I was going to send him a, a birthday card. His birthday was same time as, same as my dad's. And I was going to go send him a birthday card, just, you know, make contact. And all of a sudden, one morning, I'm sitting there reading my Bible. God got a hold of my heart. I said, oh, man, I got to drive all the way to Richmond, Virginia. And the Lord said, yeah, you do. So I went up to the house. I said, honey, I got to go to Richmond. She said, why? I said, I got to talk to LB. She said, he's still alive? I said, yeah, believe it or not. I said, you know, he ain't going to be alive much longer. I got to go, I got to go see him. So I got in the car and I drove to I started seeing things across the road in front of me that sleepy and stopped. And then the next day I drove the rest away. Now all I had was a little piece of paper that had L.B. Belcher, 127, something lame. Now I, I, I didn't have a map. You know, didn't have GPS. This was before cell phones. I didn't have Siri. So I'm going, I get on that road and I didn't know, there's two roads, the, the, the bypass and the 95 and then the bypass. And I thought, well, which one do I take? Which one do I take? Which one do I take? I'll take this one. So I took that one. And I'm going around and I thought, well, Hopewell's got to be here somewhere. And sure enough, come around a curve and there said, Hopewell, next four exits, something like that. I thought, okay, which exit do I get off on? And I said, no, I didn't get off at that one. Oh, shit, get off the Okay, I'll get off at this one. So I got off at that one, and I pulled off, and there was a 7-Eleven there. And I got inside. I was going to go inside and get one of those little books that they used to make. And I was going to I'm going to go buy it. I just wanted to, you know. You know what I mean? I mean, they're four bucks. Come on. So I walk in, not a soul in the place, but the guy working the cashier. And he gets all friendly. Hey, how you doing? I said, good. Can I help you? Nope. He said, well, what do you need? And I said, uh, I want one of those little books that has the, the, the road, the, the streets around here. And he said, oh, he said, I've lived here all my life. What street are you looking for? And I said, uh, I said, hold on, I reached in my pocket, I pulled it, and I, something lame. He goes, oh, it's right there. I said, what? He said, it's right there. I said, what do you mean, right there? He said, well, come here. And he walks around, and he comes, and he goes, it's right there. 
Well, I start bawling. I knew that was a God thing. I mean, I was born at night, but not last night. Come on. And I, 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 he said, you all right? I said, man, I am great. I went out and got in the car, and I pulled out the end of that parking lot, took a little right turn, went down that street about four houses, and there was LB sitting on the porch. He started, he started looking when I pulled up in front of his house, like, who's coming to see me? And I got out, stood by the car, and he looked and he squinted, and he stood up and he put his hands on his hips, and he come down off that porch, and then he started walking towards me. And when he knew that it was me, he come a running, and I came a running, and I'm bawling. I mean, I'm bawling my eyes out. And he's he hugs me, and then all of a sudden he sees I'm crying. He starts crying, and I, he says, "Why are we crying?" And I said, wait till you hear what just happened. And he said, have you lost your mind? I said, oh no, I'm in perfect working order right now. I said, come on, let's go sit down. And I took him into his kitchen and sat down at the table. And I took my Bible and he said, oh, wait a minute. I want my wife to get in his, his newest Korean wife. Son, something, son, son, son Lee or something. Come here, come here. She walks over, sits down, and I took the Bible and led both of them to Christ. Folks, we just need to do the program. 